Welcome to Everyday Nonviolence, Extraordinary People Speaking Truth to Power. This podcast is developed by Friends for a Nonviolent World, FNVW, whose mission is to champion nonviolence as the foundation for effective programs and actions to promote the dignity of every living being. Violence impacts us all. Our goal here is to give voice to people who are working to use active nonviolence, those who have experienced violence, and those who have committed acts of violence. Each week, we'll hear stories that will deepen our understanding of violence and the principles of nonviolence. Our host today is Joanne Perry, a longtime activist and lifelong pacifist. Welcome, everyone, to our podcast, Everyday Nonviolence, Extraordinary People Speaking Truth to Power, where we explore ideas, concepts, and the practice of active nonviolence in our ordinary lives. Today, we're welcoming an anonymous guest, a gentleman we've named Lee for our show. The story is truly his to share as a recipient of a domestic harm situation. However, since it involves other people as well, and we want to be conscious of not causing other people harm by identifying any of them, he is using this different name. Welcome, Lee. We are delighted to have you as part of our ongoing commitment to be a voice for justice and social change. Thank you. It's a it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. You recently told me a story of a family situation, the one that inspired you to come and tell your story of violence in the home. Please tell a little bit about what happened that day. Well, I am the father of two children. Um, I was married for a little bit more than 20 years. And like my own parents, uh, I never used, uh, never threatened to use violence as a form of discipline or punishment or persuasion with any member of my family. My marriage had its ups and downs, uh, but the the woman that I was married to, uh, as far as I knew, as far as I believed, uh, never uh, would use or threaten to use violence with me. Certainly never had, and uh, up to this point never did. And while there were many things that I worried about in our marriage and the future of our family, uh, that was not one of them. In fact, I think you told me that she was a practicing pacifist, someone who believes um, to her core in active nonviolence, spiritually and physically. Uh, that's correct. Why don't you tell us what happened? Well, one day in the winter of 2014, um, my wife and I had an argument. We sometimes had arguments. And I don't know why. I doubt I will ever know why. But in this case, during this argument, um, there came a point at which my wife uh, had in her hand a rather large plastic appliance that had batteries and very suddenly leapt up from the table where she had been sitting and and came at me and attacked me, uh, hitting me with this object. Uh, It was wildly out of context, a situation that, that I had never anticipated. And so my reaction was something that I didn't have time to think about. I'm six foot two, and my wife was five foot four. And the, the thing that she had in her hand was not designed as a weapon, even though she was using it as a weapon. So I didn't fear for my life. I didn't, I didn't fear that I was going to be, you know, have broken bones or go to the hospital. I turned my back on her because she was aiming high and um, I turned my back on her to protect my face 
And she stood behind me and held that object in her hand and pounded against the back of my skull over and over and over and over again with each stroke shouting, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And she just kept doing that. She wasn't doing anything else. She wasn't trying to trip me or prod, you know, anything else. So I, you know, I, I, I didn't feel that I needed to do anything other than what I was doing. And after about 15 blows, the appliance that she held in her hand and was using as a weapon shattered and fell out of her hand in pieces on the floor, and she was no longer armed, and so she stopped. What was she looking like at that moment? What was her reaction to all this? Well, I don't know what she looked like because I turned my back to her, and when she no longer had anything to hit me with... um, you know, it's hard to answer your question. I I wasn't really thinking what is on my wife's face at this point. And what I can tell you is that she didn't say anything. Perhaps most obviously, she certainly didn't say anything like, oh my God, or I'm sorry I did that, or what just happened, or anything like that. She didn't say anything at all. She didn't say anything. I, I guess there was a moment of, of uh, silence, stunned silence between the two of us. And Then we just moved apart from each other, and I didn't feel an imminent danger that she was going to pick up something else and renew the attack, so I just, I just, I guess I was just confused and didn't know what to do, so I did pretty much nothing. You sound to me like you were a bit stunned, and so to me it sounds the same about your wife, but I can't judge your wife. Were you stunned? I was completely stunned. It, it, it was uh, it was something that, that I had never imagined. I had literally never imagined, as bad as our marriage was sometimes, as strained as things were, as hopeless as I felt about our relationship, it had literally never entered my head that it would come to violence by either of us. So uh, in the most literal sense possible, this was something that was, had been unimaginable to me, and it came out of the sky like a bolt from the blue. I have no trouble imagining this was not in your your worldview. Definitely not. That's a really hard story, Lee. Um, I do appreciate your coming forward and telling it. Thank you. There's some interesting moments in that I'd like to ask a few questions about. Number one is when she was beating you face-to-face, you made a decision. You made a, several decisions here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, um, number? you didn't have it in your repertoire, we got that part about hitting back, but tell us a little bit about why you decided to stay in the room, why you decided to turn, what process went through your brain at that moment? Well, as I say, you know, it was too fast for deliberate thought, so there wasn't any of that, and I I can only describe things uh, in, in retrospect, but I, as I say, I, I, I turned my back just to protect my face. It's just a very simple protective reaction. I didn't hit back or take any aggressive action because that never entered my head to do that. Um, why did I not leave? And that is something that, that people have asked me. And that, in retrospect, seems like a really obvious question. Why didn't I just walk or run away, leave the building? And the answer to that is, I have no idea. The answer to that is, is the same answer as why I didn't hit back. It simply never entered my head. I mean, it was months. It was literally months before anybody 
put that idea into my head by asking me, well, why didn't you leave? It's like, well, uh, um, I never thought of that. I'm finding it interesting because I am really taken by the fact that you did not hit back. I am really taken by the fact that you had so much lifelong training. It never entered your brain to do that. It also never entered your brain to run. Those are somewhat acts of courage, if you think about it from a, a retrospective perspective. <laughs> Strictly from a retrospective perspective, yes. And I, I've come to understand that. Uh, you're not the first person to suggest to me that what I did was courageous. And the first time somebody said that to me, it was incoherent. I had no idea what they were talking about. Uh, I just, I struggled. I almost became angry with them. Like, what the hell are you talking about? I, I, I really had to struggle to understand what that could possibly mean. And I, 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 I do now. I understand how from, from an observer's point of view. Um, but that, that's not what was going on for me. You've talked about the shock and the stun. And that it was somewhat out of the blue, out of your world view, as a matter of fact. Uh, what changed in you in those moments? Well, the simplest and most direct thing that changed in me is something that I will never forget. Uh, I mean, it took a while. It took, you know, maybe 30 seconds for this attack to go from beginning to end. And, and during that 30 seconds, I was actively thinking to myself, this is the end. I am divorcing you. Did that in fact happen? And that subsequently happened, yes. But that was, I mean, we had an unhappy marriage before, and I often thought about divorce, but right there, that was one and done. We're out. Well, you did try, at least temporarily, counseling. Um, I'm not entirely sure why, but I felt it was really important that we try counseling. Not, I shouldn't say try. I didn't have any realistic hope that it would improve anything, but I just thought it was something that I really felt that we needed to do. So the next day, I said to my wife, we need to go see a counselor. She made no objection. We made an appointment. It takes a long time to make an appointment with a counselor. So it was actually three weeks later that we sat down with a mental health professional. During all that time, my wife and I had, had zero conversation about what had happened. No words, nothing. So we sat down with the counselor um, and the counselor, as they do, said, why are you here? Uh, I had used my cell phone to make a photograph of the shattered pieces of the object that was used as a weapon against my skull. And I, and I told the story to the counselor, the same as I've told it to you about the actual attack itself. And I pulled out my phone and I showed her the photograph. Here's the evidence. And I just told the story. And when I was done with the story, I stopped. And the counselor, having listened patiently to me, uh, turned to my wife, who was sitting next to me, for my wife's response. And without any hesitation, my wife said, I'm glad I did it. I don't regret it at all. Uh, I have to say, at that point, I wasn't particularly surprised. The story itself is remarkable in how you handled yourself, but let's talk about what happened next. You are now a man, a victim of domestic assault, and I know there were other incidents that followed, uh, but what happened when you went to get help? What did you do? Well, the first thing is that I didn't go to get help, okay? The night this attack happened, it never crossed my mind to call the police. 
It never crossed my mind to call the police. I should have done that. I know now that the first thing I should have done was to walk away and pick up a phone and call 911. I didn't. The one and only sort of proactive thing that I had in my mind was, th I'm, this is a divorce. This is going to be a divorce. And, and I had the belief uh, that that would fix things. I had the belief that in the process of the legal dissolution of my marriage, that that would somehow address the fact that the marriage was ending because of domestic violence and that that would come out in the wash or come out in the lawfulness or come out in the, you know, that it would be dealt with and accounted for. And that proved to be completely mistaken. Um, Minnesota, I did not know, but I know now is a no-fault divorce state. And um, one of the things that no-fault divorce means is that doesn't matter whether you are a victim of domestic violence, you get nothing for that. A divorce is a divorce and end of story. So I was informed rather curtly by my attorney that uh, if this case went to court, that we would not be even able to bring up the fact that there had been a domestic assault. Not admissible. Boy, were you hurt. You're still hurt. This is the law in the state of Minnesota. I know after the incident you felt beat up, and you're now you're talking about the betrayal of the system. What else, what other psychological effects happened to you? It's very isolating. My experience of, of violence, I mean, the only violence I know is domestic violence, so maybe it's the same for all kinds, but it was very isolating. It made me feel uh, absolutely negated. I was treated like an object, like you would chop a block of wood or like you would use a, a, a sledgehammer to break up a stone. Um, and I, my, the fact that I was a human being who had any feelings, who had any point of view, any position, any legitimacy, uh, I, I found that physical violence negated all of that. And that's something that I, I might have been able to say in some vague intellectual fashion after reading a book before, but it's not the same when you, when you experience it and, and the incredibly uh, direct and powerful link between an, a physical act of violence on the one hand and this extraordinary psychological consequence of uh, I don't exist, I don't count, I'm not here. That was never part of your emotional repertoire before. Uh, well, when I was a, a young boy, uh, I was often unhappy about myself, but certainly not in anything like this way. Well, I am devastated for you. But let's talk about what you actually did. Let's talk about the resources that were available for domestic assault for you. Well, as I say, the, the first thing I did was what I didn't do. I didn't call the police. Um, uh, for, for, uh, I made this decision that I was going to get divorced. After the incident with the mental health professional, the therapist, when my wife expressed pride and satisfaction in her domestic assault, um, it was after that that I went and found myself a divorce attorney. And again, I thought that would take care of it. I expected that, that placing this in the hands of a divorce attorney would make everything better. So I didn't feel a need to do anything else. I mean, I talked to my friends. I have, I have close friends. And of course, I told my friends what had happened. And I had friends who were very, very supportive. Uh, and that was absolutely necessary to me. 
but my friends, as dear as dear as they are and as dear as they were, of course, they're not mental health professionals, and you know they could only be friends. They couldn't do anything more than that. So it was a full year before I uh, sought um, the help of any kind of a of a person who would be trained or or have any professional experience with this sort of thing. I guess uh, I, I don't remember what it was that that caused me to think, well, maybe I should do something about this. But um, I had it. I looked on the web. I'd heard of something called the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Uh, I called the telephone number, and a woman answered the phone. And I I gave a brief summary of what had happened that I'd been uh, that I was married, and then I had been attacked with and beaten by my wife with a weapon. And uh, the first thing that the woman said to me was, well, we don't have any services for men. And she went on to say, what you need to do is call the men's hotline. And and I remember thinking, I, you know, I, I nearly interrupted her and I said, I'm sorry, isn't this the National Domestic Violence Hotline? So... I looked online, there is a thing called the men's hotline. I called them up and there's a phone number. A man answered. I briefly explained the situation that I had been involved in a domestic violence situation where my wife had attacked me with a weapon and either the man didn't understand me or simply wasn't listening because when I paused for breath, the first thing he said was, are you the perpetrator? Um, and that, yeah, that may have been the hardest moment, uh, outside of the attack itself, that may have been the hardest moment in the whole thing. Um, that was just a very, very difficult moment. And, um, you know, I might very well have just hung up at that point and, uh, I didn't, I patiently explained that no, I was not the perpetrator, that I was in fact the victim. And he was very clearly um, uh, confused and um, out of his element. And he said to me, well, we don't have any services for victims. And the symmetry was unmistakable. The symmetry was unmistakable. And he told me, he said, the best thing I can offer you is I can let you sit in on a group therapy session for perps. And I said, you know, I don't think that's going to help much, so thanks. Uh, and I asked him, you got any other, is there anybody else I can call? And he said, no, nobody that we know of. This is horrible, you know. This is just horrible. I do know. Yes. Yes. I have a friend, a, a dear friend who I've known for many years who works with, uh, uh, ex-military people who've suffered PTSD. She knows a lot about traumas that men have. And when I told her um, what had happened to me, and, and in particular what, uh, what had happened when I called these phone numbers, um, she gave me some information that was r really helpful for me to know. Number one, she said that uh, the statistics, what limited statistics there are, indicate that fully 20% of the victims of domestic violence are men, um, which was a shocking figure to me. I would have guessed 1% or 2% 
So to have this person, this woman who was knowledgeable, make that as a statement to me was really very dramatic. And uh, she also told me that separate research had been done uh, on people's responses to the, the sex of the victim, the gender of the victim, and that there was quite clear evidence that when the victim was a man, uh, whoever was watching, whether it was a man or woman, tended to discount it as being either unimportant or downright amusing. Wow. Wow. You're strong enough in this moment to tell the story, which tells me you've come a long way. What actual help did you get? Well, I'm very fortunate to have good health care. I used that and went to see a mental health professional, a counselor. Um, I called up the agency and said, I need to talk to somebody who has some experience with domestic violence. And uh, I was assigned a, a, a therapist or a counselor, and, and uh, I met with that person once a week for, I don't remember, six, eight, ten months. That's That's where I got help from somebody who knew what this meant and how to deal with it and and how to provide how to how to make some progress what would you say to someone who faced a similar situation now the first thing to do is call the police call the police the first thing to do is call the police this is a crime and you are not obliged to press charges you are not obliged to call for the incarceration or the criminal record of the person involved, but you need to call the police. You need to get somebody out there for your own safety. You need to get this on the record. Uh, you need to make sure that this does not have an opportunity to slip out of sight. The police showing up is what really makes the attacker aware that this is serious. Okay, so... The police show up. What does that actually mean, other than you've got it on record? Um, it means it's a really clear message to the attacker that, um, that this is being seen, that this is being taken seriously, that this can have very significant consequences. But it is equally, uh, I think at least equally, a message to the victim um, that this is being seen, that this matters, that there is some aspect of societal structure that takes this seriously and that names it and that recognizes it as, as being of significance. What else should someone do? They should get professional help. Um, and it should be professional help. Yes, call your friends. Yes, call your intimates. Yes, call the people that you feel comfortable talking to. Yes, do that. Absolutely do that. But those people are not trained professionals. They do not know what what the symptoms and the, and, the, and the outcomes of domestic violence are. So someone has found a professional to talk to. So what can they expect to learn about how to live their life from this moment forward? Because their life has now been changed. The mental health professional uh, provides perspective provides informed perspective, asks questions that give you space to, to think about and to talk about aspects of this in ways that you may not yet even have thought about in your own private mind and that you probably have never said out loud. Uh, as much as anything, what the mental health professional knows how to do and is able to do 
is to give you the the power and the opportunity to to say things out loud. It is astonishing. It is way beyond astonishment the difference that it makes to say these things out loud. How is your life different, or what do you is your belief structure different than what you believed before that time as to now? Strangely enough, um, after after going through a lot, after talking to a great many people, after dealing with the system, after after lots of time with mental health professionals, I actually have emerged from this with more confidence. Uh, I know now who I am in the sense that I don't have to wonder anymore, what would I do if somebody attacked me? I know the answer to that, and, and I wouldn't wish that knowledge on anybody, but it happens that I have it. So I don't have to worry about that anymore. I know a great deal more now about about the fact that I don't pose a threat to other people. I no longer have to worry about whether I'm a threat to other people. I've learned in the hardest way possible that I'm not. And that is a, a real source of, of solace and a real source of confidence for me. Now, because you've moved very successfully from that low point, can you tell us what you'd like our listeners to do? What can they do differently or consciously maybe to work toward a world free of violence? I think there are a couple of things um, at very different ends of the scale. In a very personal sense, when you are in a situation where you might consider violence, where you might have, have seen somebody else on TV use violence or in a movie or where maybe it happened in your childhood or something like that, Try to find the space to ask yourself, what will really be achieved if I use violence here? Is violence in this situation actually going to help? And if you can find the space, the time, the moment to ask yourself that question, then I know pretty much what the answer is. The second recommendation I would be uh, contact your elected representatives and tell them that uh, to increase funding for services for victims of domestic violence. No matter their gender. No matter their sex or gender or anything else. Thank you very much, Lee, for being with us today. We truly appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you so much. for listening to Everyday Nonviolence, extraordinary people speaking truth to power. To learn more about Friends for a Nonviolent World and the work that we do, please visit our website, fnvw.org, or give us a call at 651-917-0383.